Hey there, and welcome to the Brave Marriage Podcast. I'm Kenzie Dzinski, a licensed marriage and family therapist and certified professional coach, and this is a podcast for couples who want to grow as individuals, do marriage with intention, and live mutually empowered, purposeful lives. Today, we are talking about the foundations for a great sex life. In preparation for this episode, I've sought out scripture, theology, and research in that order. And what I discovered was that all of these references ended up pointing to the same things. And I'll walk you through those findings in just a moment, but I want to make sure you hear this episode not just as foundations for a great sexual experience or encounter, but that you listen in terms of setting the foundation for the rest of your married sex life together. Because as I said last week, the hope is that you and your spouse will have a sex life for the rest of your life. So I want you to go into this episode thinking of your sex life and all that it entails as a marathon and not a sprint, right? Working on our sex lives, just like any other change we're trying to make as a couple, requires action over time, not one-time action. And I highlight this because I know it can be frustrating and even exasperating to keep working on something, especially if it's in an area in which you're struggling. But I just want to encourage you to take heart knowing that change is a process. See, the only way that a poor sexual experience becomes a poor sex life is if we treat our sexual experiences in marriage as all or nothing. If our expectations are such that one less than pleasurable experience gets blown out of proportion. Having said that, I want to return to the basics today to be sure you have a few things in place that can help you set the stage for a great sex life. Before we dive in, this episode is brought to you by my free research-based relationship quiz. Have you ever wanted a professional insider's look at your relationship? Well, I've created a short quiz that lets you in on the state of your relationship based on four different components of marital health. After taking the quiz, you'll receive an immediate score, plus a description of your score will be sent straight to your inbox, followed by one action step, next steps to take, and one prayer for your marriage. To get in on that free resource, just visit bravemarriage.com quiz. Again, that's bravemarriage.com quiz. All right, three contributors to a great sex life. Commitment to one another, safety and trust, and mutual beneficence. Now, I'll break each one of those down in just a moment, but as I listed them out, I noticed a similarity between what Scripture points to as the foundations for a great sex life and John Gottman's Sound Marital House, which is based on 40 years of research. So Gottman would say that the pillars of a sound marriage are trust and commitment, with the foundation of marriage being friendship, having mutual regard and respect for one another, knowing each other's inner world, and being in tune with your spouse's likes and dislikes. And so, while Gottman's research refers to the marriage relationship, I'm drawing a parallel between it and what Scripture already points to. So, let's take a look at each of these three contributors to understand each one better. The first foundation for a great sex life is a commitment to one another. Now, notice I didn't say the foundation for a great sex life is marriage. Why? Well, because we know that roughly 40-some percent of marriages end in divorce, 
Christian couples not excluded, and that about 15% of all married couples are living in sexless marriages, meaning they're having sex once a month or less. So based on the research, no matter how much we'd like to, we can't point to marriage on principle as a key factor in having a great sex life, but rather the commitment itself that's made through marriage. It's a commitment of faithfulness and fidelity to your spouse for the good of your spouse, not yourself. And that's emotionally, mentally, and physically. Hebrews 13.4 says, Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and the adulterous. As I read that verse that speaks to our commitment to one another and that faithfulness and fidelity piece, but I realize that's the part of our human hearts that we often want to forgo. The part about maintaining our sexual purity in marriage, which means forsaking all others, even in our fantasy life. And I do acknowledge that I may be more conservative than some when it comes to what I'm about to say, but I believe that what this verse and other verses throughout the New Testament call us to is to be set apart in our commitment to our spouses, which means committing to sexual purity in terms of turning our eyes away from pornography, from individuals who are not our spouses, and to turn our minds away from sexual fantasy that dishonors our commitment to the other. Again, I know how extreme that sounds in our culture today. But I also know that as Christ followers, as individuals through whom the Holy Spirit lives, that's not an unrealistic standard to seek. And furthermore, it's this kind of loyal commitment to one another that sets the stage for the most crucial contributors to a great sex life, safety and trust. Now, what do I mean by safety and trust? I mean building trust relationally between you by creating a safe environment, again, emotionally, physically, and spiritually. More specifically, this looks like allowing for either spouse to say no, or for the person in the relationship with lower desire to say, I need more time, or for the sexual distancer to say, I'm not comfortable with that. On the flip side, this looks like the person with higher desire being able to trust their spouse's word, that when the person with lower desire says later, they actually mean later and not never. It means that the person who desires to have sex more often trusts that their spouse does desire their sexual satisfaction and pleasure. And I have to say this because I know it applies to my audience, but safety and trust also look like not using faith or beliefs against your spouse twisting mutual regard and submission to try and control or manipulate your spouse or make them feel guilty for not giving you what you want when you want it. To be very clear on this point, this does not create safety and trust. And furthermore, any attempt to use faith against your spouse is not out of your commitment to your spouse or out of a heart for your partner's good but instead out of selfishness and a state of deceiving yourself that your desires are pure when in fact they may be emotionally and psychologically harmful to your spouse. Okay, I'll get off my soapbox, but here's my point. I realize that safety is not a sexy word, but we can't get to sexy 
without safety. And if we think we can, I would posit that our desires have gone awry from God's heart and design for our sex lives. Now, there are a few more scriptures that I want to point to as we talk about this a little bit further. 1 Corinthians 10, 23-24 says, All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. So what this is saying is, just because you're married does not mean anything and everything you desire to do with your spouse and your sex life is going to be mutually beneficial. What's good for one may not be good for the other, and therefore not good for your marriage relationship. This is a common issue that comes up when I'm working with couples, because one spouse will say, I want to do this or that in our sex life, but my spouse isn't spontaneous or willing or adventurous. He or she only wants to do the same old things. And what I try to help couples understand is that there may be a good reason for that. There could be something from the past, something from the relationship itself, even pressure put on one spouse that can erode the safety and trust of the other over time, causing one spouse to feel reluctant to try new things in their sex life. And it's important to realize that those factors, whatever they may be, that contribute to a lower level of desire or spontaneity, for example, cannot be bypassed. As I'm sure you've discovered, if this is an issue in your own marriage, as soon as you try to ignore the issues or pretend like they're not there by skipping ahead in your sex life, the more you'll find yourself stuck and held back and unsuccessful in your attempt to circumvent the issue altogether. And again, just to be clear here, those are not necessarily reasons not to grow beyond your current level of comfortability in your sex life, because there's definitely something to be said for two individuals who are differentiated enough that they can own their stuff and grow beyond it together. But what I tell couples is, you're going to have to start there, wherever the more conservative person is, if there's going to be ever a chance that you grow beyond that together. Okay, and one more point here with safety and trust. In Song of Solomon, as the groom and bride are getting to know one another better sexually, the bride says to the groom, Catch the little foxes for us, the little foxes that spoil the vineyards, for our vineyards are in blossom. And what she's asking of her groom here is for him to protect their sex life from the start to eradicate anything in his life or to take out anything in their relationship that could break down the trust they're working to build between them sexually. Because feeling emotionally safe and comfortable in your marriage will always, always precede the kind of sex life you desire, one where all the gifts of sex that we talked about a few weeks ago are present, that oneness and intimacy and mutual pleasure. And these factors lead me to the third foundation for a great sex life over the long term, which is mutual beneficence. And that's really just a fancy way of saying reciprocally seeking the good of your spouse. Okay, a great sex life is not just about you. It's about making sure your spouse feels comfortable first and pleasured second. And in this point, the first two pieces of the puzzle commitment to one another and safety and trust 
are expressed behaviorally, right? Because commitment is more of a head and heart posture toward your spouse, while safety and trust are built out of your emotional, psychological, spiritual, and physical connection with one another. But mutually seeking the good of your spouse leaves no question unanswered in your marriage. Either you are concerned with your spouse's comfort level or you're not. Either you're concerned with your spouse's pleasure or you're not. So what does a mutually beneficial sex life look like in action? According to a study which surveyed 70,000 couples from 24 countries about what makes a happy, healthy sex life, they said things like staying good friends, feeling comfortable talking about their sex lives, turning toward each other when a bid for sexual connection was made, having fun together, and cuddling or being physically affectionate. And what I find so interesting about this research is that it's just so countercultural to what's sold to us. None of this sounds sexy. It sounds lighthearted and playful. But think about it. When you remove lightheartedness and play from your sex life, then what's really left? It's either passionate and erotic sex to the exclusion of the rest of your relationship, or nothing at all. So I want to encourage you to think about your sex life in this way, not in terms of what you've been sold or told by untrustworthy or uneducated resources, but in terms of what scripture and research both point to, that the happiest couples with the most satisfying sex lives have a foundation of friendship, a culture of safety, trust, and comfortability, open communication, in mutual affection, fondness, and playfulness in their love life. All right, so I'd love to know what you all are thinking three weeks into this series. Feel free to send thoughts or questions or feedback my way at kinsey at bravemarriage.com. And if you'd like to work with me through coaching around these topics, whether individually or as a couple, I'm available by phone to help you practically with what we've been talking about. I really desire that every couple have an amazing sex life. And so if you're unsure where to turn or uncomfortable asking your questions to anyone else, you know at this point that I'm open to talking about it with you. So again, feel free to email me, Kenzie, K-E-N-S-I, at bravemarriage.com, and I'd love to work with you. Your action step for today is to ask your spouse two questions. Number one. When it comes to our sex life, where have I not been listening? And number two, is our sex life mutually satisfying? If so, how can we make it even better? And if not, where do I need to grow? And my prayer for your sex life this week is that you'd return to the basics, that you'd revisit how your sex life started with one another and see where you may need to recommit to each other where you need to establish greater safety or strengthen your trust, and that you'd reorient your heart from seeking your own good to seeking the mutual benefit and enjoyment of each other. And I'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye.
Love is just as fragile as it is.